This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, December 7th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, a mixed bag for the public health update. Sheriff's Office concludes review. SMRC looks back on 2022. And a mountain weather forecast. The county passed another milestone in the long haul of the COVID-19 pandemic this week when it retired its COVID dashboard website. But if you're looking for regional pandemic data, you can still find it. Now it's located on the revamped public health page on the county website. Director of Public Health Grace Franklin says the new webpage is looking good and nearly complete. Um, We'll be refining a few things as we um, get used to the new format. Um, But for those who bookmarked um, the uh, previous COVID website or the COVID dashboard, um, that's no longer the place to go. And um, the county website is that new redirect. Also on the county website, you can fill out the community health survey. Franklin says responses are adding up, but the county is eager to hear more from the community before the survey closes on December 16th. For our county, San Miguel County, we need at least 363 surveys completed in order to be statistically significant. And to date, we've received um, probably a little uh, just short of 350. And we need at least 40 Spanish era responses as well to make it statistically significant for our population and demographics. So we're on target to meet this, but um, we also recognize Uh, 400 or just less than that uh, survey responses still isn't the full picture from everybody's perspective within our community. In her update to the county commissioners, Franklin also brought news of budget restructuring at the state level. County public health departments across the state will soon receive more funding, but a grant for broader regional funding is going away completely. Franklin says the regional funding currently supports two positions, and the increased grant to San Miguel County will not be sufficient to cover those salaries. We have an epidemiologist that's staffed under Gunnison, an emergency preparedness um, and response coordinator in Delta that has previously been funded by state funding. And our team um, are kind of in a sticky situation because the funding for both the two staff um, positions that are regional, it would not, what we'd be making now is not sufficient to maintain um, both positions. Returning to good news, Franklin says RSV cases in the state may finally be moderating. Similarly, COVID numbers appear to be staying relatively moderate, even as the county braces for a post-Thanksgiving bump. Franklin reminds county residents that we have a vast number of tools at our disposal to control the spread of respiratory diseases. And then uh, as the holidays um, pick up and um, people are going to a lot more parties or visiting loved ones to um, take a COVID test or two beforehand, there's lots of free rapid tests available um, at public health, at the libraries for people to pick up and use as they need. We definitely have a lot of great tools to prevent um, an increase in spread and um, I'm hopeful that um, this winter will be a lot better than it has been over the last few. Responding to Franklin's update, the commissioners are pleased with the new web page. They additionally voiced concerns about losing a regional epidemiologist from the funding restructure and say they will troubleshoot a future solution. The work of Alan Young, a police practice consultant, recently caught the attention of Colorado's longest-serving sheriff. 
That's San Miguel County's very own Bill Masters, who says Al Young's work seemed to speak directly to him. He uh, was assessing some agencies that had leaders in there for a long time, and maybe they hadn't uh, stayed up to date on certain things, and, and maybe the institutions had, had uh, gotten into some bad habits. And I wanted to make sure that um, we weren't one of those that would have ended up, up that way, especially when you, you have someone like myself who thinks they know everything and, 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 and doesn't need to stay up on, on, on the latest and greatest of uh, ideas, maybe. Masters has served in his seat since 1980. In 2021, he worked with the San Miguel County Commissioners to hire Al Young to make sure the sheriff's office was keeping up with the times. Young has recently published his findings in a 250-page report, which he discussed last week with Sheriff Masters and the Board of Commissioners. Young says the report contains recommendations for the sheriff's office moving forward. I've kind of separated it out by recommendations and things that I feel are important. And this is come, comes from best practices from other sheriff's offices around the country. This is uh, number 68 for me in terms of people in Nassau County, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Miami Beach, San Jose, etc. So I think I have an idea of what's good and what's better, and, and I'm so impressed with the sheriff's office. Young's review process involved hours of interviews with county officials, staff at the sheriff's department, masters himself, and many others. He also combed through some 1,500 documents. Young repeatedly praised the sheriff's office and San Miguel officials and said the review was always meant to be constructive. Um, this is meant to be positive, not negative, and we want to go forward with anything that we've learned and make, make it better, and that's really the name of the game. Young's recommendations are diverse and specific. He recommends various trainings for department staff, as well as increased collaboration between the sheriff's office and other county services. Young also recommends the department hire more civilians to work in non-law enforcement roles, such as answering dispatch calls. Overall, Young says the county should work to fill job vacancies. There's two vacancies in the patrol division. There's two vacancies in corrections. And so the sheriff and I have spoken about that. But I mean, I think we need to solve that issue because, uh, you know, it is a morale issue. I called in on Thanksgiving Day and spoke to a sergeant in communications who was working on her day off because somebody had called in sick. So hmm. we need to get a little overlap. <clears throat> Master says he appreciates the findings. Moving forward with improvements, he says, will probably come down to money. I, I, and Al's done a, a good job at, at identifying some things. Some of them uh, can work. Some of them can work with a lot more money. Mm -hmm. I know we all have limitations on that, and, we, and it maybe just not. It can't work for us because it's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, and uh, but we, we certainly um, will look at all of them and, and see what we can do to to make it better. And hopefully, it'll be a guide for us going forward. Commissioner Lance Waring encourages Masters and the Sheriff's Office to keep the document as a guiding light. It would be great if this document was not put on a shelf, but was visited by you and your team, and then checked in with Mike, and eventually we all sat down again, and you give us the low-hanging fruit that you've already taken off the list, you give us the ones that are top priority, and what the funds will be to get those done, 
and then you give us the wish list that we use as strategic planning for the future. Concluding his presentation, Young says he is grateful for the openness, earnestness, and integrity of Sheriff Masters and his staff. The San Miguel Resource Center works to empower and advocate for individuals affected by domestic violence and sexual assault. As we wrap up 2022, KOTO News spoke with Executive Director Leila Benitez about the work the Resource Center has done over the past year and her hopes for the upcoming one. Leila, thanks for joining to talk a little bit about kind of a year in review and maybe a year looking forward of the San Miguel Resource Center. Broad question, but first, can you just share a little bit about... How was this past year for the Resource Center? Obviously, you're new to the team, but what does it look like for, for the uh, crew over there? It has been, they have had a tumultuous year. And I think a lot of our nonprofits and our businesses can relate. There's been a lot of turnover. There's been a lot of change. Um, but I will say that the team that is there, with just these amazing young women, um, have been so resilient. And this, the Resource Center is stronger than it's ever been. They have helped over 182 people so far this year alone, provided over 55 nights of safe housing um, for people who, in a moment of complete desperation, had nowhere to go. Um, they've spent $60,000 approximately that they were able to directly give out to families and to people in need when crisis hit, whether it's domestic violence or sexual assault. The fact that they can get so much done <laughs> Um, just with a shoestring staff, says amazing things about what I think they can do in the year to come with all of us working together. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to be working there with them. You just touched on some of the resources that SMRC has provided for yeah. folks in the community over just the past year. But when you kind of think about the impact, maybe more in the community, maybe outside of um, the nuts and bolts of like this many hours, this many nights, how do you think the Resource Center has engaged in this community over the past year? Well, there's a tremendous outreach effort. We try to go to every event to be there, to make sure everyone knows who we are, what our number is, where our building is. But we also work really closely with law enforcement. So that's the sheriffs, that's um, the marshals, that's the Mountain Village Police Department. We work closely with the medical centers, both here at Telluride and Uncompadre and Basin Clinic. And we work together with all the other social organizations so that if someone sees someone in risk, if someone hears something, they can make that referral. And um, we're there. You know, a lot of times people walk in and that's the first time we see them, but quite often... It's the police department that has said, you know what, you don't want to talk about what's just happened, but you've walked in. Let's talk to, to the, the resource center. And so these people will come in, and that's how we start the dialogue of getting that help. In the moment, it actually is not about the dollars and cents that we're sharing. In the moment, it really is that place where you can let your shoulders down, sit privately with someone and tell them what's happened and start figuring out together, okay, what do I need to do to be safe? What do I need to do to make a plan for get me through the next 24 hours, 36? What does the next month look like? There's going to be someone there for you, an advocate that's going to walk you through that. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do in the schools with young people? Yeah, that's some of the stuff that makes me smile the most. Um, you know, we do so much with crime victims, but it really 
we have such a strong prevention program. And we have um, two people that help run that program, Liza and Zita. And they are in four school districts from K, pre-K all the way to 12th grade. And they teach lessons. They have workshops. And these are regular sessions that they've had. They've already met with 1,900 kids over different sessions. And they also go out to Ridgeway. And they talk about everything from, like, when you're young, just how do you say, don't talk to me like that? Without instead, you know, what I did, which probably was like pushing over the the little boy who I didn't think should talk to me like that. Um, They start talking about bullying. They start talking about, okay, how do I communicate what I'm thinking in words better to my friends or to someone I don't agree with? How do I have a better conversation with an adult? And if something is wrong, what do I do? What are the first steps in talking to someone? So it's really centered around giving them those tools to prevent violence, prevent bullying, and um, learn how to keep themselves safe. And then we also have a program with peer advocacy where you can learn and take a class for eight hours. And this year we had 24 um, teenagers that took that so that you can help a friend who maybe something has happened to them and they're not really ready to talk to an adult yet. And they can talk to you about, and you have someone that's trained there that can say, okay, here are some steps we can do. What are you looking forward to um, or, or hopeful for the Resource Center in 2023, in the next year? I really am looking forward to, we are melding together as a team so well, and just looking forward to how much more we can accomplish, really putting a strategic plan in place of how we can do more outreach in the community, how we can work with more nonprofits, and have an even tighter relationship with the schools. You know, our Healthy Kids survey that came out recently had some data that I think was disconcerting about, you know, what our kids are doing after school. And so are there places that we can partner with other organizations to bolster, you know, this living healthy, not not getting yourselves into maybe situations that you can't get out of, and really being a part of that solution. Layla, thank you so much for coming in and taking a couple minutes to chat today. Thank you. The San Miguel Resource Center is available 24-7 for support. Individuals can call 970-728-5842 or the 24-hour helpline at 844-816-3915. With more snow in the forecast, the Telluride Ski Resort is opening more terrain. Starting on Friday, December 9th, the North Meadows Carpet Lift 10 and Lift 11 will open. The Meadows Peaks Trail, North Meadow Carpet, Sundance, Double Cabin, Holy Cow, Enchanted Forest, Grouse Glade, Runaway Train, Teddy's Way, and Ute Park will all be open. Skiers will need to leave the Lift 10 area by Lower Sundance as the bridges in the area need more snow. On Saturday, December 10th, Lift 5 will open, adding Polar Queen, Storm and Norman, Dewdrop, Alta, and Henry's as skiable terrain. According to Telski, the Chondola remained closed but should reopen by early next week. Telski will provide shuttles from the base of the Chondola until it reopens. Handel's choral work, The Messiah, premiered in Dublin. The year was 1742. Soon after, it was performed in London, and the response was unenthusiastic. 
But over the years and through Handel's revisions, it became one of the most cherished and performed choral works in Western music. Telling the story of Jesus and his resurrection, it is now a standard of the holiday season. This weekend, the Telluride Choral Society will bring their rendition of the Messiah's Hallelujah Chorus to town in their annual Winter Sing concert. The concert will also feature holiday works from around the world and an invitation to sing along. The performances will be held by candlelight at Christ Church on Friday, December 9th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, December 11th at 4. All are welcome. Bears have headed to hibernation, but that doesn't mean you can let your guard down around wildlife in Colorado. Deer are in the peak of their mating season, and Colorado Parks and Wildlife is urging everyone to take extra caution to avoid conflict. During mating season, known as rut, bucks are territorial and full of testosterone. They may attack people that appear to be competitive rivals, says CPW. The agency adds deer may also see dogs as threats. CPW recommends individuals keep dogs on leashes, stay as far away from deer as possible, don't allow your dog to roam free, and check your yard before letting a dog outside. Also, don't leave food outside that could attract wildlife. Bucks in rut may also spar and get tangled in swing sets, bicycles, hoses, and at this time of year, holiday decorations and lights. CPW urges individuals to keep lights at least 8 feet off the ground and firmly attach them to structures. Do not drape lights on top of shrubbery or around tree trunks. Drivers are also reminded to slow down and be on the lookout for deer on highways. Not only are bucks looking for mates, deer are crossing roads as they migrate towards winter habitat. With a trigger ban on abortion looming, providers at the Women's Clinic in Jackson are gearing up for more restrictions on reproductive freedoms in Wyoming. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach takes us inside the state's only clinic providing abortions. Phones ring and patients file through the waiting room at the Women's Health and Family Care Clinic in Jackson. It's a typical Wednesday at the clinic, which just so happens to be the only place to get an abortion in Wyoming. Jovanina Anthony is leading me through the clinic the way patients would come through. They would come into this room. The room has equipment for ultrasounds and an exam table. We bring the medications into this room. We have a little glass of water all ready to go. And um, I conduct the counseling session. That session is when Anthony and the patient Talk about ways to prevent an unwanted pregnancy again, whether that's through contraception or a different method. They'll take the first medication uh, with me sitting here and um, observing that to make sure that they did indeed swallow the pill as directed. Once they leave the clinic, they will have to take more pills about a day later. This is a medical abortion and the only type of abortion that the clinic provides. Even though abortion patients only make up about 5% of the clinic's clientele, Anthony is fighting to continue to provide the service in western Wyoming. She's one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit preventing the state's trigger ban from going into effect. The plaintiffs are arguing that the ban is unconstitutionally vague and that the state's constitution protects Wyomingites' right to make health care decisions. The defendants argue those health care decisions don't include abortion. Anthony has spent nearly two decades lobbying for reproductive freedoms in Cheyenne, but 
she was hesitant at first to join the suit. I initially did not feel like I had the energy to be a plaintiff on a lawsuit of this nature. When I really did some soul searching in that regard, I realized that there was just no way I couldn't be a part of it. And the whole scenario just made me so angry. And anger is a very powerful motivator. Until now, the lawsuit has been winding its way through Teton County District Court. But on Wednesday, the same day I visited the clinic, a Teton County judge sent the case to the Wyoming Supreme Court. The state's highest court has 30 days to decide whether it'll pick up the case. The Teton County judge also denied a request from two Republican state representatives in pro-life nonprofit Wyoming Right to Life to weigh in on the case. The groups had told the court they should be able to intervene because they have a vested interest in the trigger ban. The lawmakers didn't respond to requests to comment about the decision, and Wyoming Right to Life's Marty Halverson declined to talk. But back in August, when the trigger ban was blocked, Halverson told Wyoming Public Radio that they will continue to fight for the ban. You can throw all the what-ifs at me that you want, but our position is it is never necessary. Wyoming's trigger ban currently includes exceptions for rape and incest. Pro-choice Wyoming leader Sharon Breitweiser says this is something lawmakers may restrict even more. The one thing I think we'll see is that they're go- they will try to remove the rape and incest exceptions from that current trigger law. If new restrictions go into effect, Wyomingites would need to travel to Colorado or Montana for abortion care. Wyoming is already an abortion desert, with most people in the eastern half of the state already traveling out of state for care. Back in the clinic, Dr. Anthony says it's the western half of the state in the eastern part of Idaho that will take a hit if the ban goes into place. Oh my gosh, I've had like six or seven from Haley Ketchum recently in the last few weeks. It is crazy. Idaho banned abortion in late August. And Anthony says that ever since, most of her patients come from eastern Idaho and drive as far as four to five hours. If it becomes illegal in Wyoming, then we are a true desert for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Idaho, Montana, Utah, the Dakotas. If the ban does go into effect, Anthony says that poor women and women of color will feel the effects of the decision the most. Most women will go a long ways at great personal expense, at great emotional expense, at great financial expense to obtain the service, but a lot of women simply will not be able to. Anthony says the fight can feel a bit hopeless, but that doesn't mean she'll stop fighting. A decision on the lawsuit won't come for months, so the clinic will continue to function normally until they no longer can. Hannah Mersbach, KHOL News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight ending around 3 a.m. The low should be around 20 degrees. Two to four inches of snow accumulation is expected. Thursday should be sunny with a high near 30 degrees and Thursday night should be mostly clear with a low around 10. Friday calls for mostly cloudy skies with a high near 30 and clouds continue Friday night with a low around 10 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, December 7th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. 
Hey there, Coto listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook here, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute based in Telluride and bringing a love of STEM to students pre-K through 12th grade across the entire region of rural southwestern Colorado, from uh, Cortez at the Four Corners up to Olathe, north of Montrose, uh, from Ure at the east to Paradox at the west, almost at the Utah border. Um, anyhow, I have an interesting, slightly alarming science story for you. Uh, Mauna Loa, the world's largest active volcano, um, has erupted this week for the first time in 38 years. Um, and that's exciting and also scary because it's on the big island of Hawaii where plenty of people live. And I'm sure some listeners here have been to that island. Um, so the reason I want to tell you about this story uh, is that there's a really interesting scientific obser- observatory up on the top of the island. And it's been collecting carbon dioxide measurements every hour, every day for 60 years And then that stopped on Sunday night when Mauna Loa erupted. Um, And the flow of lava cut off power to the monitoring lab um, up there. Um, I think maybe you're aware of uh, climate activists and their hope that we can bring the level of carbon dioxide in the um, atmosphere to below 350 parts per million. Um, And right now, um, that number is hovering between 420 and 415. And as a little aside, the Holbrook family was at Mauna Loa a few years ago, and we got to visit this observatory. We came home with a glass vial holding uh, the whatever the air was at that time, and it had only 408 parts per million at that time. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see when they're going to be able to resume measurements for what's called the Keeling Curve. I think that's named after the scientist that discovered this um, this way of charting um, atmospheric carbon dioxide in the air. But we're going to have to keep an eye on that and what goes on at that um observatory and when they're going to be able to start measuring everything again. Um, I also wanted to mention a free program that's happening Thursday night at the Wilkinson Public Library. Uh, Pinhead is running Hour of Code. It's for all ages, really. I mean, Pinhead mainly uh, works with students, so pre-K through 12th grade, but any interested adults are welcome to come by as well. We'll be serving free cookies and cocoa and, of course, uh, logging kids and adults onto computers, laptops, iPads uh, to get them going in age-appropriate computer coding um, lessons and fun. Uh, so it's a great introduction to learn how to um, code and, and make a computer do something as simple as, as as move an image around a screen if you're a really young kid or do something more complicated. And we'll have some of the computer's super geniuses from this valley helping out, volunteering. Um, so I urge you all uh, to come by the Wilkinson Public Library Thursday uh, from 3.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon. This is Sarah Holbrook signing out. You are listening to a little bit of our upcoming Winter Sing 2022. The concerts are Friday, December 9th at 7 o'clock and Sunday, December 11th at 4, both at the acoustically beautiful Christ Church. 
Our artistic director, Hal Adler, has prepared the adult chorale with wonderful music, featuring holiday songs from around the world. The pieces range from the shimmering and reflective Okuli Omnium to the big celebratory Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And what's different this year and exciting is that we will have a few audience sing-alongs planned, especially the Handel's Hallelujah, where you'll have music in Hal's direction. The program also will include the audience holding candles while joining children and adults singing a few traditional carols. Our new youth director, Liz Forsyth, is excited to have the children's choir perform by themselves and also with the adult chorale. It's truly a collaborative community effort that the Telluride Choral Society is proud to present to you. And our Susan Ensor, pianist, will be accompanying us on several pieces. Once again, the Winter Sing performances will take place on Friday, December 9th at 7 and Sunday, December 11th at 4, both at Christ Church. Tickets are $20 for adults and $10 for students and children. And they're available at the door. The concert length is approximately an hour. Hope to see you there. This is Ginny Fraser with the Choral Society. And thank you, Kodo. For more information, contact Sandy McLaughlin, our board president, at 519-0081. And Susan Vibrock's site, Telluride Inside and Out. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Koto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. <laughs>